To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. 14 away from five, Aaron Darman, political reporter with us now. Hi, Aaron. Good afternoon, Heather. Okay, so we talked about this yesterday. The government is pressing ahead with its, with its three waters reform. It made some changes, right, but, but sticking to the Māori co-governance aspects. Absolutely, it is sticking with that co-governance aspect and it has made, I guess, tinkering around the edges as opposed to anything else, not too uh, major a change in this policy. They've basically jumped on board with everything dependent working group put forward. Shaking it all down, the big slice of the pie is that public shareholding model, which Nanaia Mahuta maintains will keep the ownership of water with councils alone. Today represents a significant turning point in terms of moving forward to progress uh, the Three Waters programme based on eight weeks of consultation with the sector, the government taking on board what were the most important issues that were highlighted by councils, which was governance, representation and local voice, then implementing a working group, uh, and the working group has since provided its recommendations. So I think we're at a point now where we can just say it's important to move forward. So Mahout is saying all steam ahead. Not so fast, though. Act Party leader David Seymour, he says he wants it all to go, and he's very cold on the idea of shares allocated to councils. The one share per 50,000 people is a little bit like a car thief saying you still own it, but we get to decide how it's operated because in practical terms, uh, a local resident and ratepayer will have no more control or accountability over their Three Waters assets now, as you say, there will also be co-governance, not at the board level, but regionally regionally with a council and mana whenua chair for each area. It would seem Mahuta's keen to shift the fears of that co-governance aspect to fears of privatisation. She really made a big point today of wanting entrenchment to keep public ownership in play. So that would include a rule that changes to legislation enabling privatisation would require a 75% parliamentary majority. But, and it's a big but to do so, she'll need the support of parties across the House and 75% majority to lock it in the bill in the first place. That seems unlikely. And in many ways, the government's trying to put the opposition between a rock and a hard place. If they vote against it, they'll be seen as supporting privatisation. But if they vote for, they'll at least in part be supporting the same reform they so strongly oppose. Aaron, what's the next steps? Where does it go to from here? I mean, how, how long before it becomes legislation and then how long thereafter before it's actually enacted? As in, how long well, have we got to stop this? Yeah, well, well, we know that uh, that the government has repeatedly talked about wanting to get these entities, these four new water entities, up and running by 2024. Mahuta wasn't putting a time frame on it today, but she said in the coming months she would be introducing this legislation and then getting the ball rolling on that in Parliament. Okay. Uh, the Auditor General is going to look into the mental health services. What what of that in particular? So Nationals' Matt Ducey wrote to the Auditor-General Parliament's spending watchdog pleading for an investigation into the $1.9 bucks allocated for mental health back in 2019. Now that cash has, by the government's own admission, rolled out the door at a snail's pace. The anomaly here is that the Auditor-General usually looks at laws broken around the spending of public money, not the merits of individual spending decisions. So money already out the door, not money put aside. But in a letter released today, John Ryan, he made it clear that he believed there has been enough sufficient oversight of the government investment. It wouldn't be worth duplicating the process, but instead he's launching an inquiry into the effectiveness of mental health and addiction services for young people as a whole. So part of that will closely monitor particularly the services and the impact on the services through these current health reforms. Now, a bit of context to all of this. Last year alone, some stats, just 65% 
of those under 19 were seen in the first three weeks, uh, weeks rather of referral. And Matt Ducey, well, he says that's not good enough. Health Minister Andrew Little, he's calling the review of the $1.9 billion, uh, well, uh, simply another cheap stunt by the Nats. Now, um, the, the proposed changes to pig farrowing has upset the pork industry, but I would have thought that this was already on the cards like ages ago, wasn't it? This has been on the cards for some time, but today we've had these serious concerns in the pork sector come to light as a result of this new draft welfare code for pigs. So the proposals, which are now up for public consultation, include banning farrowing crates, which the industry says are designed and proven to significantly reduce piglet deaths. In fact, they say the crates operate as maternity wards for sows, and canning them could result in 60,000 piglets dying every year. But of course, animal welfare advocates, they're hitting back. They say the crates are a violation of the Animal Welfare Act, and the government should be obligated to phase out the practice. An interesting note too, the government did some independent economic analysis on this, and it reportedly found the draft code would lead to around 18% increase in the price of all New Zealand produced pork. So it'll be interesting to see where they land post-public consultation. Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron Darman, our political reporter.